Hey everybody, what is going on? My name is Jeff Spencer, and you are listening to a brand new episode of Sweeten Up. Thank you so much for joining me today. I greatly appreciate it. What a crazy last couple weeks, folks. Our last episode of the podcast dropped on July 31st, and here we are on August 21st, finally bringing you a brand new episode. During the last few weeks, the state was dealing with the aftermath of Tropical Storm Isaias, which devastated Newtown, where the podcast is located, and the studio was without power for an entire week from August 4th to August 11th. We had to reschedule a lot of the guests we had lined up, as most everyone was affected by this storm. When we left off, our next guest was Justin Farmer, who was running for a state Senate seat here in Connecticut. Unfortunately, when we interviewed Justin, we ran into connectivity issues with Zoom, and then, due to the storm, we were not able to drop the episode before Justin's primary election for his bid for state senator. We do plan, however, on rescheduling with Justin soon for a live, in-person interview, and you definitely will not want to miss out on that. With that being said, let's get right into my guest today. My guest on the podcast was the great and powerful Frankie Vinci. Frankie Vinci is a multi-platinum songwriter and recording artist who has performed and recorded with some of the biggest names in music, including Aerosmith, Van Halen, Alice Cooper, Meatloaf, Leonard Skinner, and Tim McGraw. Over the years, his artistic expression has expanded to visual art, where he works in the pop art genre. We had an amazing conversation, speaking about his stories on John Lennon, on David Bowie, Sid Vicious, and just everything that he's been doing in the music world over the last few decades. It was an amazing discussion. I cannot wait to share it with you guys. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Frankie Vinci. Joining me today on the podcast, I am super honored to be uh, sitting down with a tremendous guy, a tremendous individual, and someone I've known for a long time. A really good friend, Frankie Vinci. Frankie, thank you so much for joining me, and how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking me to do this. Of course. No, it's, it's good to have you. It's a, it's a really, you know, it's a rainy day right now. It's a good mm-hmm. time to sit down and, and have a chat. You got, your, you got your villain blanket on. Yeah, I put a little blanket <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time. We were saying before about how it's like your blanket's kind of like... Tell you're at my house, You're like though. a villain. Yeah, so we're in your house. We did a yeah, thank you so much. You never... Yeah. So thank you so much for having me inside your house. This is the first uh, remote podcast episode, and I'm super excited. We Our equipment is, is it sounds really good. Everything's coming through yeah. really nice. And uh, and yeah, but we were talking about how you had your blanket, and you almost looked yeah. like a villain in a movie. And yeah. how we were saying how you need, you know, kind of needed a cat just to like finish Yeah, it put a little cat on my lap. Yeah. And we won't say what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, uh, we'll take, I think you should take a picture of this because we'll, yeah. I'm like, you know. Yeah, I think we should. I'm just hanging here in uh, my living room. Yeah. With no, uh, Jeff, who I know nice since setup. he's a kid. He's Thanks. my son, Kurt, um, dear friend. That's right. We've been through the ups and the downs of life. That's right. But it's great to see you, Jeff. An amazing drummer, if you people out there don't know that. Oh, thank you. Kramp Keller drummer. When you first Thanks, started, Frank. I was like, Jeff's really good. How long are you playing? <laughs> Kurt goes, I don't know, months. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were yeah, really good. Started, yeah, I started yeah. freshman year of high school. and Really um, good. You guys you. had a good band. Yeah, we yeah we had, we had a few we had a few awesome projects yeah, right, that we worked yeah. on. It was and it was we a lot recorded of fun. here a few times at yeah. uh, Da Vinci Studios. A lot of a lot of yeah. times we had those um, pads, but yeah. Jeff was playing so fast the pads couldn't pick up the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> it's like why are you offbeat? 
Yeah. And then I listen. He's not offbeat. It's yeah. just the pads were delaying. Yeah, the electric that's, drums. Yeah. That's, yeah I times. play with my fingers on the keyboard. You right. Know? It's quicker. Right. And then you're all set. I'm all ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, uh, thank you so much. Um, you know, I know so much about your, your past music history and everything like that, but I know a lot of other people, you know, may not. So I guess one place I'd like to start is, you know, when, when you were growing up, when you were little, what, what age were you when you first decided that you wanted to play music and what was the instrument of choice? Well, ask anybody my generation, they're going to say the same thing, which I mentioned to Kurt, my son. If it wasn't for the Beatles, you wouldn't be playing music. And that, right. that's what happened. I wanted to be on the New York Mets, play shortstop. Oh, nice. And that one Sunday night when everybody's talking about this thing called the Beatles, right. we all sat family watching TV in my little living room in Long Island with my family, my brother. And my, I guess my sister was there. I don't remember if she was there. I guess she was. And mom and dad, the Beatles came on. Girls screaming. I was like, holy moly, what the hell? that long hair i went to school with long hair for i think i haven't changed my hairstyle since <laughs> 1963 but um yeah beatles i'll have to swear then of course the stones and then you saw wow you could be ro ro more rocky than like stones right well i liked a lot of the stone songs better than some of the beatles stuff but i love it all i don't compare right you know the who right Ooh. oh the who my generation. <laughs> Remember, you know, you get you're old. I'm, you're not old. I'm old. I'm older than you. So these songs, I was in my, I was fourteen, right. thirteen. Okay, yeah. And it's like, and that's still today. People right. are playing them, and you go, man, that song's great. Zeppelin, all that. Right. And what what did you pick up first? Was it the piano, the guitar, or did uh, you, were guitar. you singing guitar? And then piano, and and you know, flute, bass, and that's and, right. The yeah, flute. I, play, I play seven instruments. Wow. Yeah, no, you're very much a... Blue, blues harp. <laughs> I love playing man. the blues harp. I used to get in trouble in school with that. Oh, really? I'd walk in the halls, playing my blues harp between classes, and teachers up, like, Mr. Vinci, there's not a music school. Put to... <laughs> and so I'd pull out my flute. I had like a knapsack, like a, right. like a Indian would have with the arrows. Right. My mother made it for me, so I had this flute in arrow cake, whatever they call those things, a carabo. Right. And I pulled out the flute and my long <laughs> hair and skinny... So the girls followed me around like I was Cocopelli. Wow. Look up Cocopelli. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's something. K. That's something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was it like growing up on Long Island back then? I guess similar to would be Connecticut, you know. Okay. But, but the houses are closer together. Right. 100 feet by 50 feet was the property. Right. I live on three acres with 25 behind, 25 acres behind me of nothing but woods. So I just liked it up here, you know. Other than the ticks, we don't like ticks. Were you a beach guy? No, no. That's why I have perfect skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it's true. No, yeah, I'll tell you a personal story. I don't. Sure. I'm not a good swimmer. Okay. I was thrown off a boat when I was 13, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Frank Apollo just passed, so I can say. But my high school friend, his father, threw me off the boat. Gotcha. And my brother saved me. Wow. Jumped in, and the drummer from his band, and then they wouldn't let me get back on the boat. Until wow. I swam 10 feet. I got kids with So uh, never Jeez. been on a boat since. Gotcha. <laughs> no, so I Don't wasn't. I'd go to the beach, only be a little scared. That my friends would oh, you got to go right. in the water. Right. I thought we were talking about music. No, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but no, it's, um, it's totally different up here. I could see that right. the kids are more athletic, and Long Island was music mostly. Like a different generation, too. Right. You know? And 
so PhotoMaker, obviously, um, out of Long Island, came out of Long Island. Um, when did so? When did that all start? Well, that started. Uh, I don't not go with years, but somewhere in the seventies. Okay. My brother and I were doing some music and playing the local Long Island clubs and nice. Try to get our own deal. We're called the Vinci Brothers, and then we all got close with Atlantic Records. Had a Emerson Lake Palmer had a label called Mandel, I think, and. Um, they liked our songs. They were pretty fresh for back then. We were recording in the bedroom, you know? Right. And uh, those tapes found their way to uh, Farna. They weren't Farna yet. They were looking for a lead singer and a keyboard player, huh. which my brother, they liked his voice. They knew of him from the uh, older days. And um, my brother recommended me his keyboard. So we sang on some demos. We did Cold as Ice up in our old bedroom. And, oh, wow. Yeah, I wish I had those tapes today. But we were almost in Farna. My brother first, me second, and that didn't work out because they didn't have a name yet or yet a label. And Mick Jones, um, the main guy, had said, you know, you should call Gene Dino from the Rascals. They're looking to put a band together because we can't keep you anymore. We don't, we're right. not sure we're going to use you. We don't have the money, blah, 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 boom. Right. And then Gene and Dino and my brother and I started Photomaker. My brother wound up leaving later to be in a band called Network, which Tommy Matola produced. And... Um, Actually, Barry Gibb wrote their first single. Oh, wow. They were called Network, and the song was called Save Me. Nice. Yeah. But Photomaker started back in those days, and we had you know, the rough two years of getting studio time at Record Plant and Power Station and Hit Factory. A lot of it was and you guys were And so. you guys were power pop music. Power pop. Actually, we, we just, one of the, yeah. you were one of the first? One of the, I was going to say, we were one of the first bands to be pow, called power pop. Right. You had the Raspberries which uh, Wally Bryson was on our band. Right. Played guitar in uh, the Raspberries. Man. Him and Eric Carmen and the other guys. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. And then Gene and Dino from uh, Photomaker were in the, are in the Hall of Fame now with the Young Rascals. Right. Later on called the Rascals. Right. And that was my roots, watching the Rascals on the Ed Sullivan show, along with the Beatles and the Stones and everybody else. Wow. But that that's, so cool. uh, it's, I believe in visual, visualization as I, the older I get and I look back, well, I thought this would happen, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bad and the good. So, right, right, right. So, and you, but you also have a story of, um, when you were recording one time and you ran into David Bowie. Oh, and I, yeah. I didn't really run into well, him. I was sitting he, in the lounge. He, he kind of ran into you. Know, he kind of ran into <laughs> He ran into you. Not physically, but we was, I was sitting <laughs> at the, yeah, I was, I wish you did. I'd get some of that DNA on me. <laughs> No, I was sitting on the couch, 10 at night, uh, I have to catch the midnight train home, hope they call me in to sing soon, you know. And all of a sudden, the door flings open. It was Tony Visconti who was producing the album, and um, David Bowie. And remember, it's 77, 1977, still not uh, an iconic man yet, but or star, I should say, but definitely an idol of mine from high school. Right. And there he was, five feet away, him and Tony were talking about, well, wait, but the, David was going, well, the lyrics aren't right yet. And Tony's like, well, we only have like a half hour and we're not getting back in here for a while. So, you know, knock it out. And Tony went back inside. Hope Tony's not listening. And then <laughs> uh, it wasn't a bad thing. It's just like, hurry up. We got to get the song done, you know, like right. any producer would do. Right. And David sat on the other end of the couch. It was like a three-seater couch and about where you were. Yeah. A space between us. And he's sitting there with a pad and he looked over at me. He said, with, you know, with the English accent, which I don't do very well, he said, don't you just hate that? And I was like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, one of my favorite Bowie asked me if I hate Yeah. And David goes, you know, I'm singing on the mic and the lyrics just aren't working. And I, I know I could do better and, and watching the clock. And, and, he's, and he just sat there and I said, yeah. 
And I didn't know what to say to him. Right. And only because I knew he was working against the clock. And Yeah, I mean. And it's David Bowie and I got <laughs> starstruck. You yeah. Know? And it was just a regular guy sitting next to me talking about writing songs. And he just dug in. And I didn't want to bother his energy, so I got up. I said, David, good luck with that. Nice meeting you. Right. He didn't even know my name or anything. Right. And I went into the studio doing like a victory dance. I just met David Bowie. You know? <laughs> and, and then three of the members went out to get coffee to see him. Oh, <laughs> that's know? so cool. That's so but, cool. Um, yeah, it was a, yeah, I have little stories like that through my whole career. Right. I wanted to write a book because uh, everybody else is writing one. Yeah. But mine will be a little more humorous. Right. Because I would like to call it famous people I pissed with. <laughs> Who were no, some of those people? No, because it started with that. I remember okay. going to the bathroom at one of the early sessions we were doing with Photomaker demos. Gotcha. And I looked over and Art Gunfunkel was peeing next to me. Oh, wow. And I said, That's interesting. I just peed with a famous person. Yeah. So now many years go by and I go, yeah, you're in the studio at major studios where John Lennon's upstairs recording or David Bowie or Bruce Springsteen or Tom Petty or the Fleetwood Mac record plan had all those great people at the time I was doing my record. So wow. I was around it, you know, wow. and Jimmy Iovine was engineer there. Wow. He, he was an assistant originally. Right. And he almost did the filmmaker album. He almost produced us. We went with uh, Eddie Kramer who produced Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix, of course, and some Beatles stuff he engineered. I mean, Eddie's off the charts, you know, so proud as a 23-year-old, 24-year-old, work with a legend like that, you know? Right, right. And uh, he did our, oh, we did an Electric Lady we recorded there. Wow. Which, you know, Jimmy's spirits there. Yeah. He actually built the studio with Eddie. You know, wow. That was, uh, and uh, wow, that was, uh, wow. I pinch myself when I think I yeah. worked with Eddie Kramer, you know? Jeez. And the great story is Kurt and I went to one of the AES shows in uh, New York City at the Jacob Javits. That's audio engineer society i think so we went and eddie was doing uh the waves plugins then so he was there with the mic wrapped around him and you know 100 wow. people trying to hear what he's saying because it's so loud in those convention halls right and then i kept waving to him like he would remember me after you know <laughs> how many years yeah right and uh we got done and people are trying to ask his autograph i weasel my way in and i go eddie you, you know who i am and he says man you look so familiar and i said frankie vinci from photomaker it, like the tears welled up in his eyes. He hadn't seen me since I was 20, oh my 23. Gosh. And I said, this is my son. I said, I was Kurt's age when wow. I worked with you. And we, we just had a beautiful moment. That is so And he, cool. we had to run the lunch because he only had 20 minutes or something. Right. He said, listen, find me later. I've got an idea for you. Right. It's like, what? You haven't talked to you in 40 years. <laughs> Maybe not that long. But Of all the people you've met, who, who would you say is the most, was the most impactful? Or, what, you or mean is it, or, the brief meetings or the friends, uh, yeah, celebrity friends? Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I guess, whichever. Impactful. Well, you know, David Bowie, like I said, um, well, almost got impacted by Sid uh, Vicious. <laughs> he punched, he went to punch me uh, at the Chelsea Hotel. Interesting. I think I told the story recently on a podcast. We were recording Electric Lady. We had to be back at 10. So I was living in Long Island and didn't want to take the train. So my uh, manager put Lex and I up. Lex lived in Long Island too. A guitarist at the Chelsea Hotel, the world famous. I didn't know it at the time that right. it was like songs were written there. People lived and died in that place. Yeah. All I saw was transvestites and bums and rats, you know. <laughs> but a legendary. Look it up if you don't know to the younger generation. Chelsea Hotel, man. Oh no, I know the Chelsea. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Amazing. And I'm, it's, so I stayed at one night. So we walk in and we're sitting and wait four in the morning, waiting to get in our room, and. 
my roadie says, sit here, I'll check you in. We're all tired. We have to be back like in th- a few hours to record again. And Nancy walked in. Now, remember, I didn't know Sex Pistols. I didn't really know. I kind of knew the punk movement. I knew Sex Pistols, but I didn't know what, who they were or looked like or what, you know. And Nancy uh, came in first, staggering. And all of a sudden, Savicious came flying past her, like, you know, walking really fast and stern. Wow. Looked at Nancy, drunk or on heroin, whatever. And she's kind of floating, cuts on her knees, wearing the fishnet. Almost like, it's almost like a, a mirage of her. Wow. If you think of her now, that's how she looked. With the, she had right. blood running down. On her, she had like a cut on her face. Like she probably fell or he hit her or something, wow. you know? Yeah. And I don't know who they are. He buzzes by and I look at Lex like, you know, we're Long Island rockers living you know, at home <laughs> with their moms, you yeah. know? <laughs> and this guy walks in living in the Chelsea and then she's kind of staggering. And Mark, our roadie, is signing us in. We're just sitting there with our baggage. And they get up to go up to the room, and I decide to help Nancy up the stairs. Big staircase at the Chelsea. And I had a landing and then another eight, ten stairs up to the rooms. And I saw her. And she's trying to get up the steps. And I grabbed her. I said, you're going to fall. And she, with her accent, I won't curse, but she get the F off me and pushing me really loud. And I was like just trying to help her up the steps because right. she was going to fall. Wow. And Sid heard it. He came flying, what are you doing to my girlfriend? <laughs> and he came running down, grabbed me by the neck. Oh, my God. Put me against the wall. And wow. my roadie looked in roadies protect, right? They look down from the railing and they right. see me up against the wall, little skinny me. Oh, know? my gosh. And he's tall. He was tall. Right. He was probably around my height, but he was Sid skinny vicious. lanky. Sid Vicious grabbing me. Wow. What are you doing with my girl? <laughs> you know? And she was like, it's a fucking me, pulling away. And, right. And uh, Mark came running down. He grabbed, he pushed us apart. I wasn't going to fight him, but... It, I had to protect myself. Right. Mark pushed us apart and said to Sid, you do not want to do this now. Go upstairs. And he says to Frankie, get the fuck upstairs to your room. Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah, that was, that's that was, wow. I made a side story there, but he almost impacted me to get back to you. Yeah. But, uh, man, just people like, people, wow, I, I have to say again, the Beatles and the Stones was the um, impact. Did you ever meet any of the Beatles? Uh, John Lennon briefly at the record plant. Wow. I was coming in while he was coming out of the elevator. Wow. And, yeah. Just what was that like? It's it's a dream. <laughs> yeah. And he asked what band I was with. I suppose he knew Gene and Dino. Oh. And the Rascal, everybody knew the Rascals because of the hits. I mean, what's that like? And John Lennon knows Raz- your band. He actually wore the Raspberries t shirt. Wow. I saw him and uh, he loved the Raspberries, which was uh, a guitarist's uh, band with Eric Carmen, you know? You ever meet ever meet Paul? No. No. Oh, 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 oh I, or... I got away from him. Right. With the uh, Kurt's mom, Doc. Uh, we, I was just signed to BMI Publishing, gotcha. Collector of uh, Royalties Society, I should say. And we were walking out, and I saw Linda McCartney walking with an older woman. And I said, oh, look, Dot, there's uh, Linda McCartney. And we were like, oh, cool. Five feet behind her was an old man and Paul McCartney. It must have been the, the in-laws, you know. Gotcha. East, the Eastmans, you know. Wow. And I went, Paul! I just pointed, I had a guitar on, so, and I looked like a beetle with my hair and everything. And he gave, hey, one of those, you know, hey, you know, with, you know how Paul always points at people and gives a nod? Yeah. He did that with me. Ah, uh, that's It was cool. like, oh, that's Paul. That's the closest I got to him. And George that's Harrison, so cool. I, same thing. Oh, Ran wow. into him on 8th Avenue. He was leaving Electric Lady. Wow. And just waved at him. I said, George, thank you, you know? Right. <laughs> and gave a thumbs up kind of thing. They wow. get it all the time, you know? Right. And, um, you, and what, Ringo I never met, and he is like the most accessible right now. A lot of my friends... Uh, Billy Amadella from Modern Drummer Magazine is 
played I with love, him on stage. He's like an idol of mine, oh, for sure. Great. He's he's amazing. I had a friend last year who saw him perform, with and the, yeah. and said that he it was probably the greatest thing he's ever seen. Yes. the greatest performance. And I was I'm very jealous. Um, yeah, but I, I'm curious when you found out John Lennon passed. What was your first thoughts of that? Oh God, that's, I know where I was too. I was in Long Island again with Kurt's mom, and uh, well, you got you know we heard got, it. It was murdered. Yeah, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. We were going to get pizza, actually. Yeah. And it was just like watching the TV at the pizza rate with my mouth open. Right. Yeah, it was awful. Awful feeling. Yeah. Still is. Still is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, imagine what he would have been doing. I mean, who, oh, who yeah. knows? I mean, it, yeah. I wonder. Uh, actually, I posted on Facebook a Photoshop for he was walking for March for Peace in Vietnam War. So I took the... Uh, Stop war now, and I put Black Lives Matter in that he was holding, <laughs> and somebody wrote, I won't mention the name. He wouldn't have ma he wouldn't have marched for that. He's a peaceful guy. I right. said, no, he would have marched against police brutality. Yeah, I bet he would. Maybe you know, and even Black Lives Matter, but it you know didn't. But again, uh, this per particular person knew some stuff about John and said that uh, he really, you know, was a peaceful p protester, and right. there was a lot of rioting and looting and stuff. So right, yeah, who knows, you know. You can't, uh, you can only imagine, hey, there's a little pun there. Yeah. No, and you know, I thought it was interesting because I remember when uh, Paul McCartney worked with Kanye, the younger generation didn't know who Paul McCartney oh, yeah. was. <laughs> and, I, and that was the best thing when I was, I would go on Twitter and I would see, man, I don't know who this Paul McCartney guy is, but he's really going to blow up now that he did this <laughs> song with Kanye. And I just thought to myself, man. The fact that people don't even know who Paul McCartney is, like the young, they're not well, yeah. schooled on that is just like unbelievable yeah but uh just watch a documentary when the beatles yeah. came over yeah i mean and it's like i think i turned kurt on to it i said you gotta watch this is really it'll tell you what i'm talking about yeah it was such a wave it changed the history of the world it wasn't even just music right dress fat you know fashion um songwriting production yeah. they were responsible George for martin's productions were off the wall man yeah um i'm producing somebody now i won't say his name but I'm making a record, and he's like, so he's playing his acoustic guitar. He said, well, I don't know if we should use strings, and we maybe we shouldn't use piano because it's not in my band. And I really, I said, we could produce it like that, but that's like telling the Beatles, oh, don't use uh, the cello, don't use a quartet in Eleanor Rigby because you don't have them in the band. Right. No, no Beatle played on that song except Paul. Right. That I know of, unless John played cello. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm not saying they weren't part of it, but right. it's a George Martin arrangement, and John's and Paul singing it. You know? Right. To sort of switch gears a little bit, I know that um, years, you know, years and years back, you uh, uh, did a song for Tim McGraw, um, mm -hmm. and uh, it was very, very popular. <laughs> it's a three million, and, uh, three million sales. Yeah, you know? and uh, uh, so I'm just curious if you could just elaborate how that came to be and kind of the success sure. of it. I was uh, writing jingles in New York City, but uh, sadly my partner uh, passed away. And the business started changing. The uh, younger generation came in right. in the ad agencies, and they said, you know, we don't want to sing the product anymore. So jingles started becoming scarce. So I went down to Nashville because I started writing country. It was right after uh, divorce. So for some reason, I started writing sad country songs. I couldn't get to my gear and sure. write pop songs. And then I wrote, <laughs> my first one was called I Don't Want to Get Married. <laughs> it was a rockabilly song. And uh, then I wrote one called Daddy, Daddy's Chair about a chair in a house that's been through three generations. That's awesome. And just wrote these heartfelt songs. I'm watching CMT one day, and I see John Small. He was my tour manager and photo maker and also played drums with Billy Joel and the Hassles. Nice. And knew of the guy. And I said, 
oh man, he's a directing country video. So I called him and talked to him in years. Turns out he moved to Nashville. He wasn't living in Long Island anymore. And uh, he said, yeah, come on down, you know. So I did and got the lay of the land. I figured he would turn me on to Garth and all these famous people. <laughs> right. It didn't really work out that way because he was always busy. And he said, by the time they get to me, the songs are done. It's like, hey, I got Tim Mc- uh, Tug McGraw's kid over here. Yeah, no, he didn't. He knew those guys, but he didn't turn <laughs> me on to him. Oh, okay. So I went to publishers on my own, but they put me up, my friends, John, Janine, uh, Small. But I walked around. Went to the shows. I was by myself like two years. Just kept going down every few weeks, flying <laughs> down, coming back home to be a dad to Kimmy and Kurt. Right. And go back down. I just worked it like I was going to the city, but I was taking a plane. and had an apartment. And in the right. beginning, I didn't have an apartment, but uh, that's when I realized this is costing a fortune. I better get an apartment and renting a car each time. But and that's how it happened. And I met Chris Bergsness, who's a great lyricist. And uh, MCA Publishing said to me, you should be writing with someone. Try calling Chris. And Chris was amazing. We clicked right away. And then we did a lot of three-way writes with some of the people he knew. But um, the way the song with Tim McGraw happened was we go see Byron Gallimore, mm. who was a, a Tim's producer in Faith Hill and many others, Grammy-winning. And he said, you guys do great stuff. You have any other songs? And Chris and I were like, yeah, yeah. So we came back next to the songs, and he signed us as a duo with Warner Brothers, and his company was Emerge, wow. Song Garden Publishing. Wow. And then we wrote the Tim McGraw song with Bob Moulds, who's another uh, co-writer of us. The three of us wrote it. Right. And it was supposed to be, uh, like, the night we were going to go do something else. But we said, let's go see what Bob's doing. And we started that song, you know? Wow. It's loosely based on my second wife, Melanie, who's an actress. And I kind of drifted into her life. Right. Unexpected. But in the... The song, I'm a tow truck driver, <laughs> about 22. <laughs> Boy about 20 climbed out of the truck covered in grease and dirt. She said, hey, Charles, and he just left. He said, I'm wearing my daddy's shirt. And that was the line, believe it or not, that sold the song. Wow. Because the girls are like, that was beautiful. Like, you know, right. you read between the lines when you hear that. It's like, she just looked at his shirt and went, hey, Charles, <laughs> I'm wearing my daddy's shirt. It's like a little humor, you know? Right. And then the next line was... uh he got lost on her eyes, and she got lost in his. As years rolled by, she would sigh every time they kiss. Somebody must be praying for me, you know? Right. Anyway, so that's how that song came about in, in the short version. Wow. Of course, it, it goes through a lot of different... Uh, when you write a song, you don't just write it. It's like five different trips, and of we were up against the clock to get it done. To, oh, actually, we wrote it for Faith Hill. Right. Oh, yeah, Faith yeah, Hill, we right. we wrote it for a female, and I did the demo real quick and sang it feminine you know lightly so a girl can learn it and right and tim sang it soft like that you know she lived oh girl you know if someone said guy was singing i might have put a little you know balls in it <laughs> but that's it you know songs and, and then uh, the success was just oh yeah it sold three million albums three and a half now it's my first uh after you know so many years in the music business to get that on your wall and i was able to give my dad one before he passed away on father's day i get wrapped up a platinum album wow and he opened it up and looked at me what's this son I said, I got a platinum album. At that time, it sold $2 million, so I gave him a $2 million plat. Wow. And my name's Frank. His name's Frank, so I actually have two now with my name on That's it. That's so cool. But yeah, it's a, the music business is a tricky one, especially right. now with streaming and everything. But, right. Uh, no, it's, 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 <laughs> it's sad, you know? Yeah, we were talking before about TikTok and everything. I was about, just going to say, yeah. on TikTok, this girl was on. I don't know her name offhand. And she's saying, I wrote the song, and it was one I recognized from TikTok. She goes, I have had over 100 million plays. 
you want to see my royalty check? And I'm waiting to see, like, I should get on TikTok and get my songs to go viral. It was $7. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was 100 million plays. Oh, my god. And gosh. I was like, oh, this is just as, like, my royalty checks now. I right. get a half a million streams on my royalty checks now, and it's like 35 cents. Wow. Even the Tim McGraw stuff, it's not, no one, because you don't buy records today. You don't buy CDs, so. Right. Yeah, things have really changed, huh? Yeah, it's, it's bad for them. But it's, it's good if you're out there playing. Yeah. You know. Do you have friends right now that are suffering because of COVID? They can't go out and play and they can't do things. Oh, sure, I'm to sure do. many songwriters and yeah. What's your What's your thought on that? That's got to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I lost a few. Not to go in a negative face, but Alan Merrill, is an old friend of mine, was the first one I heard that passed. He wrote uh, "I Love Rock and Roll." Oh wow! He had the first hit with it with wow. his band called The Arrows. Wow! And then Joan Jett did it, and everybody else did it. Right. I remember dropping him off from the cutting room at his apartment one night, and he was telling me that was during the uh, Miley Cyrus did it. But I said, oh, she did? He goes, yeah, she did a cover. And he goes, it was on Guitar Hero, Britney Spears. And he started naming <laughs> the one song was like, wow. you know, yeah. set for life kind of thing. Wow, that's cool. Guitar Hero, you know, that was like a big royalty. Right. And then you got, you know, right now somewhere someone's playing it. And Joan Jett. And I can't believe, I didn't know Miley did it. I didn't hear it. But, um, yeah, a lot of uh, friends are out of work. You know, even my studio's slow because COVID, you know. You know, and you were saying before about uh, jingles. I know your jingle career was, was you know, pretty pretty successful and interesting as well. And I'm curious, like, is there a jingle that you're more proud of than others? I know that uh, you did a jingle, actually, for the Super Bowl. Yeah, they don't um, call it jingles, though. No? Because jingles more like you sing it and it's catchy. And okay. That's called a theme. Gotcha. I mean, just to get... So you did, the th- you did the Super Bowl theme. I did Bowl the theme. Super Bowl theme, and it was the first time they played music in space because the astronauts were uh, orbiting and they said let's pump them this was super baby the first time super bowls in space and i'm watching it the, and i remember i had the flu and i was laying on the couch and i was like my music's and i was like <laughs> and the flu you made me high anyhow i was like oh my god my song my notes are bouncing around the universe right now yeah it was like what was that like having crazy. your song in the super like oh and it ran for 10 years on yeah. cbs it was the game of the week theme right and it ran on another four or five Super Bowls on CBS. It's incredible. Oh, the story's crazy. It ran for like six years straight. It was only supposed to run one Super Bowl, but then they picked it up for the season. They started doing that more and more instead of keep getting new songs. And it ran. It was like, oh, my God, it's a lot of money. It was like having a hit record. And then it, uh, CBS lost the contract with the NFL, and Fox picked it up. And at this point, I'm in Nashville, right? And I'm out of the jingle business. Right. And then it came back to CBS, the contract. And the jingle house I worked for called me and said, hey, uh, they asked for you to write the new. Um, I said, well, I'm down in Nashville. I just got a guitar. I don't even have any gear or nothing I could do synths on or anything. Right. She goes, well, just write something. And I was like, all right. Two weeks went by. I didn't write anything. And they called me. They said, you won't believe it. They hate everything. They want to go back to your jingle. Not jingle. Your theme. <laughs> you, got me saying, <laughs> you got me back to your theme. And sure enough. It ran another few years, so I nice. got like ten years of nine to ten years out of it. Nice, and it still runs in small markets. Yeah, you know, and actually, yeah. we get a royalty. It says "Evening Shade." That was a Burt Reynolds TV show, <laughs> so I never saw the show. So, but my song must be somewhere on the TV. Wow, that's so in funny. An episode of uh, <laughs> "Evening Shade." That's so funny. Yeah, I get these royalty checks, uh, and you read what's like. Snoop Dogg has a show on cable. I don't watch. One of my songs is being played on that. Uh, porn stars, not porn, but porn stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, American pickers, shows I watch, have right. my song, and I never heard it with my song. I just see, you know, right, three cents or something. That's so royalty. cool. <laughs> well, what are some jingles that you did? Oh, my company uh, was Smythe and Company. We did so much, so much. 
Well, some of the big ones were Bounty, the quicker picker upper. Yeah. The quicker picker thicker upper. Bounty. <laughs> and there's one on TikTok now being used. Wow. It's uh, Nestle Crunch. Chocolate is crunches when it crunches. That's why I love Nestle Crunch and crunches. And then at the end, there's a crunch of the bar, which I did the sound effects for. Oh but it was really like somebody slapping somebody. Oh my God. But somebody picked up on it. Wow. And everybody that's using it, it's going viral on TikTok. Wow. Just getting slapped on the crunch part. Oh, my gosh. Because the, the sound effects sound like a slap. Wow. And now they're pulling dogs away at, oh the, my at gosh. the crunch. Before it was like making believe you were smacked. Look at that. Yeah. I don't get any money for that. Yeah. Even if I, well, I didn't even write that one. That was uh, Steve Benderoth, one of our writers. But I sang on, a, on that one in a bunch. Uh, Bounty and God, so many. Klondike we did. Oh, yeah. Klondike. Yeah. We did nice. a lot of other sports too. We did the NBA. And I wrote some uh, winter Olympic themes. That you we, did MTV Spring Break, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're going back now. Yeah. What yeah. year was that, do you think? I don't. Darn. Nineties, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. When yeah. Was, yeah. Wow. I, I forgot all about that and one. And you did, did you do Battle Trolls? Battle Trolls. Yes, I did. I wrote okay. Battle, if you know what Battle Trolls is, they almost made a TV show of it. It might have been like another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles if yeah. it went through it. Yeah. And they were going to use my song. Oh, wow. And well, I had to write a full song because my only wrote a tag, they call it. Right. Battle Trolls are out of control. And I, well, my other big hit, not to talk about myself, and I try to hide this one. So I wrote the closing theme to Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yeah, that's horror, right. Sleepaway classic Camp. Classic horror movie. That's, I have a friend, Brad Cotman, loves Sleepaway Camp. I know. I can't believe. Big for, I get uh, fan big, mail. Big Sleepaway Camp. I mean, email, fan, fan mail. Mm -hmm. Like, are you Frankie Vincent who wrote Angela's theme? Mm. And I go, yeah. Oh, and you had two other songs in the movie. Can you send me them? So out of the blue, I get a call from a label in London called Death Waltz. Death, you know, like wow. Death Waltz. Right. And they do soundtracks of obscure movies. Huh. So they asked if I still had, and I did, just find it a week earlier. I was up in my attic because I had to go through some papers for a divorce, <laughs> number two, <laughs> and I came across a cassette. It was in an envelope, half eaten by mice. The envelope was. Yeah. I get inside. It's the Sleepaway Camp, three songs mixed <laughs> down to cassette. Wow. And I played it on my old, I pulled out my old cassette player, put it in my studio. Right. And it was all hissy, and I'm oh my, it's so great I found this. You know? <laughs> all three songs in its whole entirety. A week later, talk about visualization. Are you the guy that wrote Sleepaway Camp? Do you have the finals? Do you have the mixes? I said, I wrote them. I just told them what I told you guys. I said, wow, yeah. I just found it. Half eaten by mice, not the cassette, but the envelope. I just found and it. And yeah. go, the guy goes, really? I said, yeah, let me try mastering it. And they offered me money. And they released it on vinyl, on three-inch vinyl. And they only released 1,500 of them. Wow. And I was at a, a horror show in Danbury where the... The main girl, the main character, Angela, who I never met. She did the show in the movie when she was 14. And now she's 30-something. Wow. And I meet her at the convention. She cried when she saw me. <laughs> and I saw her. Oh, my God. I can't believe we finally met. And then she's telling everybody as she's signing orders, this guy wrote sleep, uh, Angela's name. And people asked me for autographs. And this wow. young kid came over, and he had the vinyl. Wow. And I, he goes, I had to buy it on eBay for $100. Wow. And he asked me to sign it. So I did. And then Angela, um, her name's Felicia. Felicia. And she goes, uh, you ask for 20 bucks for the signature. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't. I think I signed about $100 worth of signatures that wow. afternoon. I was just there visiting. Right. But it was fun. I never been to a horror, so horror cool. convention. Yeah, they're me neither. Fun. I took Kurt. With, with, I hear uh, they're fun. You. Yeah. My friend, like I was saying, my friend Brad Cotman. So I, um, I have a Powell Custom Drum, and he's the owner of Powell Custom Drums cool. in Rhode Island. Yes. And uh, Brad Common, and he's a huge um, 
uh, like uh, Friday the Thirteenth, um, Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, just loves uh, horror films. He actually um, makes uh, some short films uh, uh, on his YouTube channel. Really, that are music horror, that are horror related. Hook me up, man. Yeah, he, he might. Yeah, call but, me, man. You got the. But he, but he, yeah, I'm a legend. Huge fan of Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, huge fan of Sleepaway Camp. So that's that's super cool. Yeah, and the song was done on a four track recorder. Wow, I didn't even have a amp. So my brother says, go get dad's reel-to-reel tape recorder and take a razor blade to the speaker. And I'm like, you know, okay, whatever. Not thinking. <laughs> I just wrecked my dad's recorder. And uh, it gave me a distorted sound. You know, because you, you know, when you hear a broken speaker, cool. you know. Yeah. So that's how I got the guitar sound. I put it through a lot of echo and stuff. And I had a friend's Casio. And I came up with the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do on this belly chimey thing. And, uh, you know. Exorcist wasn't even out. I think maybe it was kind of, I don't even remember. But all those horror movies started doing that. Ting, 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 ting. I actually heard that, those, those exact notes on a Yanni song. Remember that guy, Yanni? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if wow. he stole it or not. But... And then I did a remake. Remember with Morgan's brother, Nick? Right. I told Nick to sing it. I did a punk, like a, I guess it was heavy metal or fast. Yeah. <laughs> And he sang it with the screamo voice. That's awesome. Now, that's going to be in a new movie. No, not with Nick's voice because they wanted my voice. Sorry, Nick. But, um, yeah, uh, the, the director found me. And he's going to have another. He said he wants to be in a world, uh, Guinness Book of World Records of the most murders in, uh, in a horror movie. Wow. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I loved uh, Angela. I love Sleepaway Camp. And I, want, I need your song in here. It'll draw fans. And yeah. And uh, that's super cool. So I did, and, and I did, had that heavy metal version was never used. So I said, I got to You can't use the original because it was from the original. Because he wanted to put it in the background to pay homage to it, you know. Right. But then I said, Well, I have a heavy metal version. And I <laughs> say, he goes, I love it, but can you sing it? Because I want to use you as the uh, right the lore. Yeah. So the, I don't know when it's coming out, but he asked me about six months ago. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Now I know you've produced for a lot of people. Um, do you have a favorite, or you know? I know uh, you worked with like Roberta Flack and um, a few other people. Well, uh, I know yeah, Joey Kramer from Aerosmith. Yeah, and... all those people. Yeah, we uh, Roberta Flack was a, a jingle we did for Hilton Hotels. Oh, okay. And uh, it was uh, there's an old standard jazz song standard called uh, no, "So Nice to Come Home To." Gotcha. So we got a, like a beautiful, the best players in Manhattan. Actually, Ron Carter. Oh wow! Played on the bass on that. Wow. I don't remember the drummer, and it was uh, we did two versions. One with Freddie Cole, who uh, just passed away, poor Freddie. Mm. But that's Nat King Cole's brother, right? And he sounds just like Nat. Actually, wow. the family made him put a dis- put a uh, put a disclaimer. This is not Nat King Cole. <laughs> wow, it's like Freddie Cole. It's, it's like it's my brother. I, yeah, like, the same voice. You know? <laughs> that's funny. anyway. He said he had to do a disclaimer on that, right? But, uh, but he did it, and Roberta didn't do it together. We did two different versions. It's so nice to come home to, because Hilton Hotels, you know. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful place to come home to. Exactly. If you could afford $900 <laughs> a night. <laughs> so and I know, Paris is waiting for you in the room. <laughs> so I know that uh, uh, recently you've you kind of switched gears artistically um, when you're doing pop art now. What, what, how's that been? That's great. I mean, I, Seems I, like you're really enjoying it. I love it. Um, yeah. So music as well. But the... Um, Art came about, but I was supposed to go to school of visual arts out of high school. Oh, okay. And then the music, I was doing music too, just like I am now. 
Right. But the music career took off. Sure. We got I got signed Atlantic Records at a young tw- at the, in my young twenties playing with my legendary <laughs> people I admired, Gina Dina from the Rascals and uh, Wally from the, It's like you willed pinch it. Pinch me, you know. You willed it. Yeah. You know, I just thought I used to imitate Dino on the drums. <laughs> so and Dino's a fantastic artist too. But then about two years, three years ago, I was hanging out with some friends at uh, Cipriani's, not to drop names. Actually, Harvey Weinstein was there that night with no two models. No way. With two beautiful models. No way. I mean, drop dead beautiful. You and were at a... You were at a Cipriani's is like at, in Manhattan. Yeah, wow. It's like... You've seen most, Harvey... You've been, wow. I sat there. I'm not bragging. No, I know. You're, no, I know. But it's just with everything With everything we've learned now, it's like, no, man, what, no, a, what no, a... No, it was superstars everywhere. But to get to the point, it was a huge, I would say, 10 feet across collage by 20 feet damn in a behind glass framed of a collage of, of really weird photos and i said that was really cool and i go over to the manager of the restaurant i said that must have cost a pretty penny because you don't want to know oh. and then there was another one of um paulina poskova and um just her in a 20 foot poster right by 10 feet behind glass framed uh, of her in a negligee and the whole uh, and actually it was mickey mouse on the center of it right and mickey mouse the same image went around the whole frame. And I said, that's cool too. You know, so I got this idea to do these little collages. So I started, just did little collages. And then little by little, I found out that galleries like big things. So I did a big collage. And then the third one I did was a, that John Lennon piece that sold. And uh, it was really 1960s. That John Lennon piece. Is... Oh, man. And all my friends were like, man, you should underprice that one. That should have been a lot more. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was like a cool sale, you know. But right. to be in my third piece, you know. Uh, so now I'm doing more, more ghetto-y look stuff, looking stuff, you know? Yeah, you have a nice Tupac piece, I saw, yeah, Tupac, right behind me. Yeah, Tupac. And, I love it. So I'm mixing graffiti and, uh, with spray paint and markers and images of iconic models, female models, actors, old Hollywood. Yeah, Marilyn Monroe. Mar- yeah. uh, Everybody, Mar- like, you know, because Andy Warhol brought that to life and a lot of us pop artists are using the same... Images. Right. So now I just try to find an image someone else isn't using, and I go around looking for them at at tag sales and elephant trunk type places like we have in Connecticut. Big, right. Too bad it's not around this year. Yeah, true. But I, it's my, that was my Sunday. You know, go let's go to the elephant oh, yeah. trunk. I'd love to, look. My house is mostly elephant trunk finds. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, so I found look, this one here, this Maryland one, I found on cardboard, and it was water stained, and I just did some colors around and painted it. If you want to see my art, it's uh, vincypopart.com. Little plug there. I love going to I love going to the art show. Oh yeah, it came that was to fun. The show in Ridgefield. That yeah, that was fun. Our we, we were just able to get that in before things kind of hit yeah, the fan. Yeah, it was a week before the world shut down. Yeah, so that was like our so yeah, we send spread, off. we probably spread some COVID that night. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That is interesting because it was wall. That was, was a busy night, wall to wall. Somebody in there, and I knew one or two. Yeah. I won't mention his name in case he's listening. Yeah, one or two people that were on vacation that came back just in time for my show. Right. So yeah, I was just on a cruise, and this yeah. life just flew in from Nigeria. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, unbelievable. We didn't get it, but thank no. thank goodness. Yeah. Well, maybe somebody in there did, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. You know, but yeah, that that wear you your know. mask, people. And you, and you did good. You sold. You sold. Sold some art. Art. Yeah. And, uh, awesome. Awesome. Did great, and I've sold a bunch this year. You know, that's great. Just um, I've only really just started last October selling. Right. My first show was at Renee Soto. Right. In Norwalk, Connecticut, and I sold two that night. Then I did one at the Pearl in Westport, a beautiful restaurant. Nice. And um, 
Ridgefield, the RPAC, did Manhattan, Randy Rom fashion show. Nice. Fell in love with some models there, of course. <laughs> and um, yeah, I had a good, busy, I did one back to back one night, one night at the Pearl, Westport, the next night I'd be in the city. So I had to create, because I can't just pull the art out of a gallery, so I had to create more art. So I did a few du- replicas, duplicates, bigger or smaller, whatever fit the wall. Right. And uh, went into the city and brought in 20 pieces <laughs> in, in a friend's SUV. Nice. But uh, yeah, it was um, been great. I love the art world and I enjoy it I'm tremendously. Nice. Is that a word? Yeah. Tremendously. It is now. Yeah. Tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's a word on the Sweet Enough podcast. <laughs> Vin- VinciPopArt.com. <laughs> VinciPopArt.com. V-I-N-C-I. People say Vinci, like Da Vinci. That's how you're supposed to say it. Right. You know my middle name? I don't think I do. And you know me a long time. You're going to flip Leonardo. No. I'm not lying. <laughs> is that funny? That's awesome. <laughs> my parents call me Frankie Leonardo Vinci. Wow. I was almost called Angelo. Right. I would be working in a pizzeria right now if it was my first name. Right. <laughs> Angelo, Angelo Leonardo it's Vinci. It's the Da Vinci code. One, but, you know, I'm curious... You like to watch, you know, you like to watch, you're very into TV shows, different things oh, yeah, like sure. that. What, what's a uh, couple of things, what, what's some stuff? Oh, HBO's right got some, oh, there's one coming out now with, with Abrams, what's his name, that, that horror director? A- yeah, J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams, and I always get his name, the comedy team, Keenan. Oh, Keenan Ke- Peel? Yeah. Yeah. Peel, right? He's Pe- the one that does the, the horror movies? Yes, I believe. The two of them got together <laughs> for an HBO show. Right. I don't know the name of it. Takes oh, place nice. in the South. They're in the KKK and all that. Oh wow! But there's ghosts, and uh, look great. Oh wow! You know well, those, anything with them, I'm sure. Yeah, those yeah. two together. Oh yeah. I no, think it great. started this week. This sun tonight. Tonight's the first night. I think. All right, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight's the first night. You think Sunday? You you know you either think uh, well back in the day when I thought Sopranos. Sunday, I thought Sopranos. Yeah, I knew you were gonna say that. And then uh, recently, it's been you think Sunday, then you think uh, Curb, Curb Enthusiasm, uh, Curb, which yeah. is is honestly. Well, one HBO of, has so much great, and Netflix, of course, you Ozark. Oh yeah, Ozark is really good. Oh man, and there was Jason another one Bateman, I watched. Right? Yeah, yeah. He was great in that. And uh, what's the other one? I can't remember the name. Were of you that. a Breaking Bad guy or now? Did you get into Breaking Bad? With Brian, I, I didn't Brian watch. Cranston I didn't watch religiously, but I've saw enough episodes. Yeah. But Kurt and you actually, you oh, guys I just came love over. It. Love it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. But when you miss the first five seasons of something, you don't like. I never saw um, Lords. Of, what's the not the God? I can't think of the name. The famous one with all the dragons and oh, um, Lord Game of, of Thrones. Who's say Lord of the Thrones? Lord of the Thrones. <laughs> Game of the Rings. Game of the Rings. Yeah. Game. Okay. No, I saw like two episodes. Like what? I don't get this at all. Yeah. Then there was like incest in it, and then dragons. <laughs> it was like what? Oh, oh, I know which one I like. Vinyl, because that was during my right before I cut my teeth in New York City. Right. You never saw Vinyl on HBO? Oh, dude, it's only one season. They canned it. Okay. It it didn't do well, but uh, I out. loved it. It's based on when the punk scene punk scene started and how it happened. Oh, okay. And it's based on a, a cocaine uh, record executive That's and his awesome. failing label. That's awesome. And they go behind the scenes of how labels... Listen, I've been in corporate. I've been in meetings when guys in suits are screaming at each other. And it's not like Hollywood, you know? Right. And this is it. He's in, the, he's in a room with his A&R people. He, if you guys don't bring me an axe soon, you're all fucking on the street. <laughs> you know? Right. And they're all trying to bring in. And this pretty girl comes in who's the one that gets the coffee. And she finds... Um, actually, Mick Jagger's son is in it. 
and Mick Jagger is uh, co-producer, no and Martin Scorsese. No the way. Show. Yeah, Bobby Carnell plays the. Uh, that's how you say his name. It plays the um, the head of the label, Cocaine Freak. You know, so I'm gonna watch it again. I enjoyed it, but what was beautiful about it? A few of my friends were portrayed in it. Uh, Wally Bryson, that was a photo maker, that once show with the Raspberries were playing, but of course it was actors, and the guy playing guitar was Raz, uh, Raspberry, I'm sorry, Wally's son, Jesse, who I know since he's, you know, five. So he was on the show. I said, wait, that's Jesse. Hey, wait, that's the Raspberry show song, you know? Wow. And of course they used the Rascals along the way. Right. And uh, my Pepe Castro, one of his songs were in there from uh, Blues Magoos. Wow. Because it was iconic with that time. Sure. And then uh, one episode, John Lennon's sitting at the Troubadour in L.A., and uh, Bobby walks in, his character, and there's May Pang. Her character was being played by an actress. So it was May and John. And they're like, who's the Asian girl? That's not Yoko. Well, that's May Pang. That's John Lennon's squeeze. Yeah, know? so about that, the whole May Pang-Yoko thing, yeah. um, you're, you're actually friends with May Pang. Yeah, I know May. Yeah. Um, so, so, who, so, so, who, so John Lennon was with... Well, he was married and... yeah. Yoko hired, uh, or, or, I don't know who picked her, but picked, uh, picked May to go to L.A. with to watch John for this uh, particular weekend. Gotcha. He didn't come home for two years. They call it the Lost Weekend, <laughs> where he hung out with Nielsen, Harry Nielsen, gotcha. Elton John, Keith Moon, and all they did is drink and party for the... Wow. And, and May basically had to keep an eye on him. Right. She's not a party girl. So. Right. But um that was her, you know, fell in love with John. And she wrote her book, um, Loving John, was her first book. And the second one's called Instant, uh, Instamatic Karma. She plays on the words of John's song. Wow. And she had a beautiful book of, with all his pictures. Actually, I did a piece of art. I asked her, uh, well, she, she said, let's do a collaboration because I use iconic, you know, pictures of John and any rock stars. And she gave me a, a personal picture of John with his tongue out that's in her book. Right. And that's in my art show. Right. Like, actually, I have some people interested in that. And I was like, this is cool. And I wrote on the, at the gallery, this is an original photograph from May Pang's collection that I just copied and did my uh, artwork on. Man, so cool. And, uh, yeah. So that's how they got together. You gotcha. Know? And uh, I don't know what Yoko was thinking if she did hire. Why hire a pretty Asian girl to go away with John? Right. <laughs> during, his bin- <laughs> during his binge days. You know? Right, right, right. Exactly. But uh, Interesting. Yeah. And That's she was responsible for a lot of, you know, songs and, and getting Julian back with his dad. And, wow. Yeah. Wow. This is a, a nice story. But, um, you know, she saw a UFO with John. They were sitting on a rooftop and they weren't high. He wasn't doing acid or anything. Wow. And the UFO was going down to Hudson. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> before iPhones. Too, too right. Bad. And they, she swore that totally, totally was a, a, an aircraft of some sort. Wow. Just hovering. <laughs> And you went to a uh, um, a book release or like a book? Oh, for yeah, uh, for May for May, right? Oh, that yeah, she's had a with that book. And you met second. didn't didn't wasn't one of the uh, Sopranos there? Yeah, Vinnie Pastor. Yeah, that was at at the legendary Cha Cha. Wow, you know who Cha Cha in the Goodfellas? Yeah, when they go uh, go get your shine box. Yeah, that's at Cha Cha's. Cha Cha's was the um, the uh, restaurant. Yeah, I don't know if bar. anyone told you, but. What? I don't uh, shine shoes no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great line. <laughs> Did you see The Irishman? Yes. What did you think? I'm still watching. It's like, no, they're, it's like nine hours. Yeah, long. My, no, <laughs> I'm still it's watching. It's three and a half hours. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, yeah we it, watched it in two gulps. Yeah. We watched about two hours of it. 
kind of like their last. And we thought hurrah. it was almost over, and then we look at the thing. It's like, oh god, another hour. Right, let's take a break. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think they needed to go that long. I couldn't believe Action Bronson was in it. He's a oh, personal yeah. hero of mine. I couldn't cool. believe he was in there. Yeah. So, for what do you like to listen to right now? Um, like I know you, you're producing music and you produce people, and you know you're doing your different things. But you know, when you just want to listen to just something to make you know just to make you feel good, or just you're just I, alone, I, you want to jam. To, I love all music, but yeah, but. When I drive, I listen to chill, and I'm going to start writing some chill music. I, I've written some. I just want to find the label, the hot label, and say, give me a shot. Let me just write three, and if you like it, let's do something, you know. But I love chill music. Is, there, of, is there a specific artist that you're really digging? You don't right even now? know the names of labels. I don't know the artists. I'm in my car driving, and I listen at home because of uh, XM, you know. Right. And uh, But I love pop music. Nice. All the hits, you of course. know. Of course, yeah. But I love classic rock, you know. I'll call up the Stones, but I love the weekend. You know, the weekend is good. Kill, kill. Yeah, I don't hurt me for this, but some of Justin Bieber's cooler songs. As long as you love me, but I see, no, he's talented. I see he's the production. The production. Oh yeah, that's what I'm listening you're for. You're a production guy, so you're. Yeah, and yeah. I go, man, when they when I hear even Miley Cyrus is, uh, uh, was the one? Wrecking Ball. Wrecking Ball, right? The record I'm talking about, the sound is the kick, just killer. You know, and her voice. I was like, oh man, right? That's what I look for, and that's what. I think people that aren't in the music business, that's what they're attracted to. The song, the melody, the lyric, the artist, and the way it sounds. Right. If that song sounded crappy, I don't think it would get the same amount of, you know, the producers, Sweden, Swedish producers. And then Taylor Swift is doing all cool stuff these days. Yeah, she just came out with something recently. Yeah. 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 And Max Martin produces her, and that's the biggest Swedish producer, you know. Well, the biggest in the world, I should say. But he's sweet. The Swedes got it down with the pop. When right. you listen to that, those sounds. Right. It's magic. Magic dust, they call it. <laughs> well, listen, Frankie, it's so nice to have you on the podcast. Uh, this was a really nice conversation, a really great talk. You know, one thing I ask my guests before they leave me is uh, I ask them a question on a pizza. Do they have a favorite place to get pizza? Because... I know that Connecticut's a big pizza place. I try to narrow it to just New Haven. Like, if you're in New Haven, oh, like, so you don't hurt what's your feelings. what's your favorite? No, no. I mean, I don't mind hurting people's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I know, <laughs> but, but as, as far as as far as that's concerned, because I mean, you can have a favorite spot, so that that's okay. But um, usually, I I just say you know the hot debate is pizza in New Haven, uh, just because there's all those places in New Haven. But I lately been just trying to make it more broad. So yeah. like, you know, if you, you know, not even pizza, like what Italian food. I'm yeah, Italian, what, so it's hard. Yeah, know? like what do you where do well, you Well, I don't want to hurt my friends over there in uh, Danbury, Sinappies. Oh yeah. Great pizza there. Sinappies. And then I go to Venice sometimes, but right. I like Sinappi. But that place over there near the mall, Michelangelo, I think it's called. Yeah. Is that what they call it? Yeah, I think that's what my it's called. My friend Abe took me there. It's a whole this is New York City pizza. I'm pretty sure and Mayor Chaz Mark. And Chaz Palminteri eats there. All the Soprano guys know about this hidden. It's a hidden. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Mayor Mark at Danbury said the same thing. Michael oh, Angelos. man. That's, yeah. that's, the, that's my favorite. Yeah. I thank you so much for coming on. It, it's been a great talk. And I just, you know, before we go, if you could just let people know what you're up to and where to find you and everything like that. Okay. Well, uh, my art is uh, Vinci Pop Art, as we said. V-I-N-C-I Pop Art dot com. And you can see my artwork there or on Instagram or on Facebook. Or TikTok. And um, that's about it. And music is my name, FrankieVinci.com. Nice. Awesome. And there's some, uh, some stories on there, too. Awesome. Sweet. Well, listen, Frankie, thank you so much. 
It's always a pleasure to see you. Okay, we're coming back and do this tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. We'll do part, let's do it every day. Let's do part two. <laughs> but now we'll we'll definitely do another one. Okay. There's so much more we could have talked about. So we'll talk about my days in Brooklyn. Yeah. Let's do it. When I was five. Let's do it. The day I robbed that bank. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. You're the best, Frankie. Take All right, care. I love you guys. Thanks, thanks for ticking in. Thank Bye-bye. you. Huge thanks once again to my guest on the podcast today. Frankie Vinci. It is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for letting me into your beautiful home for our conversation. It was so nice to hear about all the great things that you have done in your career and continue to do. And I look forward to having you back on the podcast again down the road. Yet again, another episode of Sweeten Up is in the books. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate your feedback. As a reminder, you can play the podcast with the help of your smart speaker by simply saying, play the podcast, sweeten up with Jeff Spencer. Thank you as always to my best friends, the guys who make it all possible, post-production and music, Morgan Lutzi, art director, Kurt Vinci, editor and writer, Nick Pasacreta, and huge thanks as always to my guy, Devin Sapelli. Next week on the podcast, I will be joined by Sarah Ferris. Sarah Ferris covers the house for Politico's Congress team, focusing on the Democratic caucus. She has covered Capitol Hill for six years, including stints focused on budget and healthcare policy for Politico Pro and the Hill newspaper. I cannot wait to get her inside perspective on everything going on in Washington, D.C., and you will not want to miss out on this one. But until then, you know the deal. Stay safe, stay healthy, love you all. Peace. <laughs>